it's so, so different, but it's also really nice because I'm learning about my heritage in a way as well. And I'm calling up my grandma and going, do you know about this? Or can you tell me, do you remember this? Or how would you have done this? Or can you show me how to do this? Whereas before I was cooking what I had been taught or what was in trend or um, even, I hate to admit it, but to try to get an award. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The pandemic has turned many lives upside down. It's forced everyone to rethink, adapt, and alter their careers to survive or benefit from new opportunities. But what if this massive disruption in our lives creates new opportunities that are a benefit to the community and better for a work-life balance? Emma McCaskill is the chef in residence at Chefs on Wheels in Adelaide. Emma, how are you going? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. You've had um, quite a year. You (laughs) opened a new restaurant, um, left the restaurant, and now you're in a business that started because of the pandemic. What's it been like? It's been hectic, (laughs) to say the least. Um, Yeah, I don't know where to start. So we – I was in – I was at Spark at the Whitmore in Adelaide and um, this is earlier in March I was and am no longer working at Spark at the Whitmore and um, we were sensing what was happening outside of Adelaide and we made the decision to close the week prior before restrictions to build on a um, takeaway model launching takeaway on the weekend and I remember sitting in the first meeting with the management team just feeling so upset about closing the restaurant and I remember saying to them like I actually tried to resist closing (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I remember saying to them like guys, don't you think we're overreacting here? Because at that stage, no other restaurants around us were taking the same route. Um, and um, it, it really quickly dawned on me that this was something much bigger than the restaurant. And then that same weekend, the government announced all venues were takeaway only. So the shift to do takeaway at that time was really exhausting for me because all of my energy and focus was tunnelled into getting um, the restaurant launch, which we only did the month prior. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it was just just hectic. Um, And shortly after all of this went down, I get a call from my friend Paul Baker, who was running Botanic Gardens Restaurant, and um, he spoke about a concept which was – which actually his wife came up with, Annabelle, um, and it was called Chefs on Wheels. And I just I just jumped on board straight away. I just wanted to help in any way I could. Um, and it was a really good it was really good timing because it involved a group of friends and like minded chefs around Adelaide, um, and it 
it enabled us to cook from our restaurants through this program and then it got distributed to people's homes. Um, and it was... It was actually strange because I got to a point in a, you know, a few months after that um, where I actually decided to leave a secure job at Spark <laughs> and, and then, and then um, you know, go out on my own as a chef in residence and, um, and cook through Chefs on Wheels which is really risky at that period of time. <laughs> and um, a lot of people were saying to me, like, are you sure you're doing the right thing? And, you know, is it really the best time to be leaving a secure job? But um, it, actually, it actually would have been more, would have left me more vulnerable staying in the job rather than, uh, making the move, it happened. Hmm. Before we go in depth into sort of the move you have made to Chefs on Wheels, um, let's go back to Spark at the Whitmore because you had, as you were saying, put so much energy into the launch and um, I don't want to um, scare you or anything, but I actually was uh, headed your way to review it when I was a restaurant oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but So those plans uh, got altered as well. Um and you'd put so, and it does put. You do have to put in a lot of energy to open a new venue, and then to be thrown into this takeaway model. How did that affect the sort of food that you were planning for the restaurant, and then had to do for takeaway? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when so, I pretty much initially just um, so basically in the hotel. We had the restaurant downstairs, which was a step separate kind of area, and then the rest of the hotel was like a casual pub menu. It's like it's a 636-capacity venue, so it's quite large. Yeah, so there was two separate menus. There was the restaurant menu and then the, the pub menu, and what I tried to do is I tried to merge dishes from both menus that I thought would travel well, and we tested it out on friends and family um, over, over, week, over that weekend. And we just rolled out the old menu and what we had left in the fridges. Um, and then what I actually decided to do, I think it was like the next week or two after, is um, I actually started exploring more... Um, Indian food, that's my heritage. My grandparents are Anglo-Indian. And, um, yeah, we started making, like, lots of dal and um, different curries and um, they, it, yeah, it just, it ended up being the right food for that offering at that period of time. So, yeah, I ended up going Indian. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and then we we had like a um, just a window at the side of the hotel which we opened up for coffee and every morning we were making donuts and some small pastries and 
um, and on top of that doing um, produce boxes with like cookie dough and um, muesli and hand-rolled pasta, which was a nightmare. <laughs> it sounded good, a good idea at the time, but it was pretty hectic when we sold a lot of boxes. So, yeah, it, it, we, I, we, I was just trying to come up with anything and ev like anything just to keep ourselves busy, really. Um, yeah. And you mentioned earlier that um, Paul and Annabelle contacted you about contributing to the Chefs on Wheels. And I know that they had a purpose-built facility, which is a part of her business, um, to create meals, but he also reached out to chefs like yourself. Were you produce, producing meals in the restaurant at the Whitmore um, for Chefs on Wheels to go out? Yeah, so I I was cooking from Spark um, and I tried to do similar dishes um, that through Chefs on Wheels that we were doing from the takeaway menu. So, again, a lot of curries um, and vegetable-based dishes and then they would pick it up, take it back to the commercial kitchen and distribute it um, through there. So, hmm. What was um, trade-like for Spark at the Whitmore previous to you leaving you know the industry had opened up again and um how was trade going it it dropped significantly it was certainly not the same as when it was open but it was we weren't we weren't trying to make money we were just trying to pay suppliers and keep everyone there employed um so yeah, we certainly weren't comparing it to what it was like being open. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was enough. It, it really made me um, admire businesses actually that do just do takeaway <laughs> as their business and just, yeah, just how much work is involved, um, especially with logistics, like, an order comes in and you have to time it to get to that suburb with that driver amongst all the other orders. So I think that's it's, – it's quite a big job for not that much return. So, yeah, it made me realise. You mentioned earlier that uh, most people were telling you that you were crazy for leaving a stable job to do uh, another role during the pandemic. What What – what went through your mind at that time to make you leave your job and and take on the chef in residence role? I think I just trusted my instinct at the time. Um, I had probably two or three weeks where it, like the final two or three weeks, I really was, you know, ringing around trusted friends and mentors and talking it through with them and. Um, I was getting a bit of mixed feedback, but the end decision was just really um, gut instinct. And even after I had made the decision, I um, thought, shit, am I doing the right thing here? Because <laughs> um, it's, you know, I had a secure job in a business that was pretty busy um, and stable. And um, me leaving it 
Um, and taking on something like this was a huge gamble and a huge risk. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely felt like um, the right thing to do. And I think that um, staying there, it would have possibly may have left me a bit more open to being vulnerable later on down the track with what's going on in the industry. So, Well, yeah, Chefs on Wheels is a pretty fascinating company. You've got two of Adelaide's and Australia's best chefs no longer in their restaurants that they were in a couple of months ago, <laughs> um, involved in a brand new business that's feeding um, people in their homes, restaurant quality meals. What's, what's the challenges and differences in this role compared to running a restaurant? It's just so different. Like, I mean, we're, we're cooking from a commercial kitchen through a system that's built through Shopify <laughs> rather than cooking from an openly trading restaurant. Um, I certainly would never have imagined I would be doing this in a million years, um, but apparently it's a thing and a privilege. <laughs> um, but, no, it's – you know, there's, it's just Paul and I in the kitchen. We don't have that many staff. Um, we are, like, it's, it's quite a, it's a decent setup there. Um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's from an online ordering system. There's no waiters, there's no front of house, there's no, um, customers that we see as such, it's all either picked up um, from the shop front or delivered to people's houses. Um, there's no service. So it's, yeah, you know, you're not trying to race to get ready at 11.30 before lunch or 5.30 before dinner to set up your section and do briefing. There's, it's, you know, it's, we're just cooking, um, and um, yeah, we're just we're just cooking, really. So it's it's quite um, refreshing. <laughs> what's what's the life work balance now that you're not doing the sort of um, the night um, services and you don't have that pressure of that deadline of the midday and the six o'clock? I mean, we we've still got pressures, but they're just different pressures. Like you know, we still have to um there is the pressure of the business to like we're running a business at the end of the day so there's always pressures from that um but it I do have a little bit more time to myself especially through the nights um we're still working really hard <laughs> I just think that's ingrained in I think that's just our personalities really um, we're not the sort of people that, um, we just, we, it's just us. We just work hard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly in a, in a weird way, it's certainly, it's, it's a nice feeling cause I know that it's all on me. You know, it, you know, some people would not like that pressure, but I feel like it's, um, it's in my control. It's my own destiny. So I, I'm actually quite enjoying it, if that makes sense. 
What's some of the dishes that you're you're doing and that are regulars uh, on that on that menu that you may not have done in the restaurant? Well, my background is kind of French Japanese, um, and so on my menu I'm doing like my grandma's dal. Um, there's a pork vindaloo, which is um, a very it's like a traditional recipe. Um, there is like an epic two-day process butter chicken, which I certainly would not ever <laughs> have put on the menu at McGill Estate or, um, you know, it, yeah, it's, but it's, it's so, so different. But it's also really nice because I'm learning about my heritage in a way as well. And I'm calling up my grandma and going, do you know about this or can you tell me, do you remember this or how would you have done this or can you show me how to do this? Whereas before I was cooking what I had been taught or what was in trend or um, even, I hate to admit it, but to try to get an award, um, but but this time it's I'm cooking from the heart and what I want to learn about and it's food that I would want to eat at home with my family. So it's very different. It's just cooking. <laughs> Coming up after the break, Emma tells us what drew her to the industry and the moment she fell in love with cooking. There were all these things that I had, had never seen before, like ducks hanging in the cool room and oysters in shot glasses with burnt sake and mirin and Szechuan pepper with bread and I was just like oh my god this is there's so much that I don't know. So I was cutting off the hocks and I was just like these are stunning. The marbling and the texture and the colour was just you know it gets you excited to use and cook with those products because it looks so good. The Crackling is the latest podcast from Deep in the Weeds where we take you behind the scenes into the kitchens of Australia's best chefs. If you do the kind of double cook with the spiking, it's crunchy, but like a honeycomb almost, like a like, like glass, yeah. <laughs> and onto the farms of our nation's best producers. Somebody came along and said, well, there's this opportunity back in Victoria, and it was pig farming. That's sort of how we got into it, and it's been fantastic. The stories, the passion, the produce. It was a real life-changing moment for me to, to see, you know, the respect of, of an animal that is so deep and such a part of a culture. The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. Listen and subscribe to The Crackling now on your favourite podcast app. What drew you to the industry in the first place? I was fortunately always surrounded by food at home, um, Indian food, but I, I didn't get into cooking because of that. Um, I was actually a, a rat bag as a teenager and um, I went to five high schools before the age of 16, <laughs> but I, I managed to not get expelled from any of them, luckily, um, and I just needed to get into something. I... Um, am naturally a very busy person and um, I took up a cookery um, course at the local TAFE here and then um, I 
ended up enjoying it. Um, and then when I just before I turned 18, I moved to Melbourne and I got out the Age Good Food Guide. I think it was 2003 or 2004. And I just looked up restaurants and applied anywhere. <laughs> and I ended up um, getting a trial at Ezard um, with Teague Ezard and um, I got offered an apprenticeship and it was really there when I started to fall in love with cooking. Um, yeah, just being surrounded by people that were driven and feeling a part of this family in the restaurant and um, just the busyness of the restaurant and there were all these things that I had had never seen before, like ducks hanging in the cool room and oysters in shot glasses with burnt sake and mirin and Szechuan pepper with bread. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is there's so much that I don't know. And that's when I fell in love with um, learning about wanting to learn and grow in cooking and... and um, the hospitality industry. So, yeah. Well, from Azard, that led you to, to some pretty extraordinary restaurants, uh, Narasawa, Satbane's, Tetsuya's, um, and obviously Penfold's, McGill Estate uh, as well. Um, what, what's been some of the highlights along, along the years with those restaurants for you? Oh, there's so many. Um, I think in a in a way like I kind of felt like well I did I grew up in them you know in a in a way um I spent four years at Ezard and that was very much all I knew about cooking and um I just remember I on my on a holiday I had I had a one week holiday and I did a trial at Tetsu's on my holiday and I ended up getting the job and Darren was, um, Darren Robertson was the chef de cuisine then and Luke Powell was the sous chef and, and Phil Wood was the sous chef but he was working at French Laundry at the time and I just remember being, feeling like, oh, my God, I'm so out of my league here. <laughs> like the calibre of people in the kitchen and Clayton Wells was on the trout section as a chef de party and... Um, just, I have so many fond memories, but just being in kitchens in that era with people that were so driven, um, was inspiring in itself to want to be a chef. So, yeah. You mentioned earlier that, um, about you didn't want to be vulnerable moving forward um, being in a, a restaurant, like, um, and that was a part of your move to Chefs on Wheels. How, how do you see the restaurant industry moving forward, given what it's just been through? It's hard to say. It's not what it was before. Um, it's been affected for sure. Um, I look at what's happening in Melbourne and. Um, yeah, I just feel so sad about what's happening in the hospitality industry there, especially 
for some of my friends that have restaurants um, that are really struggling, especially with their staff, um, I think that, yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal what's happened. But um, I think out of it, I think there will be a new form of dining which will be really interesting to see what's invented out of it. And we kind of, even though it's shit to say, we kind of needed it to happen to reinvent it. So, um, yeah. What's this period of time been like for you personally? You mentioned that your, your style of cooking has changed. It's no longer for all those various reasons that you listed and you're just cooking. But has this experience changed you? Yes, I think I have um, kind of just stopped cared about what people think of me or what I do. I'm not guided by doing things because because someone said to do them or because it's going like I said before, going to get an award or it's in trend. I've just I'm just doing what feels right. So I think I've stopped caring. <laughs> Um, in a good way, um, and I've I've certainly gained um, a bit more confidence in myself. To um, yeah, I've 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 learned how resilient I am, actually, and um, yeah, yeah, I've learned a lot, <laughs> actually in this situation so well the chefs on wheels uh business is pretty extraordinary to come out of um some pretty tough circumstances and with you and paul in the kitchen what what can people expect moving forward from from chefs on wheels that's a good question we are going to just continue cooking delicious food and um and people enjoying it in their homes we uh, we've bought, we've got some new projects happening. Um, like we bought a secondhand laminator, so we're going to start making our own pastry, like puff pastry um, and rotis through the laminator. Um, yeah, which is actually huge because we feed a lot of people per week. <laughs> um, it's not a small restaurant; it's quite a big operation. Um, and yeah, we'd we'd just just continue to cook from the heart, really, and support local producers and support um, the other chefs that are involved in the program. We spoke to Paul earlier in the season. What is the scale of the business now? How how many meals are you doing a week? Oh, I don't even know. Um, I do. I think we're probably cooking for about seven six or seven hundred people a week I'm not sure I have to get the numbers um but it I I was we were a little bit concerned that things would drop off um when when venues reopened but it it, it didn't drop off it's there's definitely a market here for it um 
Yeah, there's a market for people that want to have deliciously cooked food um, at home that's at an affordable price. So it hasn't dropped off at all. It's just kept growing. As someone who was a self-confessed rat bag during their teens, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, and, you know, someone who, who you also said that these circumstances have changed you and you no longer sort of care what people think and sort of it's about doing what feels right for you. What, what, what sort of advice would you give for someone who is that sort of young rat bag just started in the industry? Just stick at it. I think just um, just be persistent. You know, really, if you want to cook, apply all of your energy into it and just stick at it. There will be times where, especially in the early days, for me, I wanted to give up um, and try something else, but it was just really persisting at it and... Um, and, and just just be open and keen to learn, especially when you're starting out. Um, it's okay to not know, and that's when you that's when you learn the most is um, being open to learning. So if you if you fuck up, just it's just a part of the process. So just keep at it and keep being persistent at it. So well, that's some great advice, and. I'm really fascinated about your Indian heritage and it's a cuisine that I love and I love cooking. But is there is there any sort of um, secrets to cooking great Indian food or do you have a dish that you just love to do from your heritage? Well, I've just um, started to – oh, there's so many. There's so many. I love the desserts. Um, they're so sweet though. Um I love all the different types of flatbreads and the roti breads and the chapatis and the puris and the different types of flours and lentils that are used in the breads and the fermentation process of making them. Um, I think people have, well, I, I certainly did um, early, like cooking earlier on, I think people have this, perception of Indian food being easy and it's just chuck it in a pot and it's like a slow braised thing but it, it's it's really really complex and each spice has um, a different job to do in a curry <laughs> and it's really about balance and cooking them out properly and how much of them you use and um, marinating things properly and it's 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 really complex, um, just as complex as any other cuisine. So that's what I'm learning now is um, I wish I could go to India right now. I was supposed to go this year <laughs> and then this happened, but, um, yeah, I can't wait to get there. So, mm. Well, Emma, what a bloody extraordinary um, year you've had, opening a new restaurant and then – um, doing something that you never thought you would, but getting so much out of it. It's uh, absolutely extraordinary. And we really loved having you on uh, Deep in the Weeds. Uh, keep in touch and good luck with Chefs on Wheels. It sounds pretty amazing for people in Adelaide. I wish I was there for that. Um, keep in touch and thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Huck. Thank you for including me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. 
Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>